a bug-free app that doesn't do anything important is not going to be successful. Every app that does something useful, on the other hand, is likely to have bugs in today's world. You know, I've been reviewing a few of my little rants that I've been making on Twitter and LinkedIn, and sometimes just to myself when I write my morning pages. And this episode is based on one of those rants. I just wrote that comment about a bug-free app that doesn't do anything important. So here are some thoughts on quality, basically. This is Nels Davis, and you're listening to episode 122 of the Secrets of Product Management podcast. It's going to be a slightly short one today, so you can get back to your whatever it is you should be doing instead of listening to this. But the key quote here, and I've, I learned this a long time ago. I don't remember who first told it to me. But the key quote is, you can't test quality in. Meaning, the QE team, doesn't matter how good they are, if they receive low-quality stuff from the developers, and there's lots of reasons that can happen, we'll get to that, they can't, they can't do anything about making it better, right? Their only job there is to do QA, quality assurance, or QE, which is doing engineering of the quality testing capabilities, right? It's not taking something that's low-quality and turning it high-quality. And really, there's two facets of quality at least one of them is of course the obvious lack of defects that's what we mostly think about but the other is really about fit for purpose does the thing do what it's supposed to do and does it do it well you know both of these are valid aspects of quality but fit for purpose is really ultimately more important everything else being equal there are different dimensions so you can't really compare them they're both important, obviously, but fit for purpose is really important. Now, product managers should be much more concerned, at least in my opinion, and at least initially, about fit for purpose than about lack of defects. Defects, as I said, they can't be tested out, but they can be discovered during testing, and that's fine. That's what testing is for, but I would argue that testing should also include something about being fit for purpose. It's easy for an unfit-for-purpose feature to pass kind of a naive testing with no bugs. And that's just a big waste. You don't want to release that thing. Creating something that has no bugs but doesn't do the job it's supposed to do is simply waste. And hearkening back to the fundamental realizations that people like Shigeo Shingo and Taichi Ono had when they transformed Japanese manufacturing with the Toyota production system and other innovations which later were applied around the world, waste is the biggest enemy of progress and innovation and productivity. So let's actually now talk a little bit about waste, not just quality. What makes up waste? Well, building things that don't work and building things that work but that work badly or building things that work according to the specs but don't actually deliver any value. It depends on how good the specs are, of course. And then Certain other things, doing the same thing multiple times, doing the wrong thing because you don't know what the right thing is. Those are both waste. And going the wrong direction as fast as you can is super waste, super wasteful. Now, in the Japanese industrial engineering world, they had these three M's, they called them the three M's, Muda, Mura, and Muri, which sort of directly translate as waste, inconsistency, and overwork. They grouped them as the three M's of waste. Well, the one we have the most direct control over is Muda, which is waste. 
how can we apply these ideas in software development? Well, I think Muda is most treatable in the development process itself. And it's kind of what Agile addresses, right? Agile, if you think about it at its core, is let's figure out the most valuable thing to work on and work on that and not work on less valuable things. So one of the ways you can waste your efforts is by working on less important things rather than important things. And Agile basically is a structure for working on important things instead of less important things. Now, Mura, that's the inconsistency in the software world, it's a design time issue. And I mean to a large degree, specifically user interface design. It's something that the customer faces if we do it wrong, and they benefit from it if we do it right. And this is meaning consistency and usage and things like that. Of course, you can also think about consistency between the product that we build and how we talk about the product to the market, the product that we build and the problem that we discovered that we think we're solving. If there's inconsistencies between those, that's going to be problematic for us selling this product. And in fact, you want everything to be aligned. You want there to be a consistency right from the, prob the problem that the prospect is suffering from right now to the product that we offer to them to solve that problem to their experience of actually having that problem solved. You want that all to be consistent. And of course, to be successful selling that product, we have to be consistent about what we say about the product, how we talk about the product, who we approach as prospects, right? It does us no good if we approach as prospects people that don't have the problem that our product solves. So there's consistency kind of runs through the whole thing. And it's very easy to get waylaid or to have your progress diverted if you lack consistency between all of those different components. So you could also say there's a management component of consistency as well. There's things like treating your team consistently and managers treating their teams consistently. So I'm just differentiating between product managers and the teams we work with and people managers and how they treat their teams. Um, that has a big impact on productivity, which of course causes waste if productivity goes down because of how the manager or the product manager is dealing with the team. Now, Mori, which is the third M, overwork, it's very interesting. For some companies, it's a problem, and for some people. But what's worse and more common in software companies, and I would say it's a type of Mori, which is overwork, is actually overcommitting. I like to use the metaphor of a car. A car can only go as fast as it can go, especially for a long period. If you try to make it go faster for a long time, it will break down sooner. Even more important, if you have a car that can go 100 miles an hour and you commit to making a 200-mile trip in an hour, you will always fail. And not only will you fail to make the trip, you might also cause the car itself to fail. And so you lose out double. And that's just the nature of overburden or this overcommit or overwork concept of Muri. Not only do you not get the results you wanted, but you might not be able to get any results in the future because you broke your car, so to speak. Obviously, in this metaphor, the car is like your, your dev team. Your dev team can go as fast as they can. They can't go faster. And if you overcommitment, if you overcommit them, it's likely that they won't be able to successfully complete anything. So what can you do with these ideas? Well, obviously, we want to reduce all of these kinds of waste. Mura, Muda, and Muri. I just think they're fun to say. So how do you prevent 
the Muda kind of waste? Well, you obviously want to strive to not work on unnecessary things. And Agile is kind of our guide for this. That's, that is the way that I talk about Agile anyway, which is figure out the most important thing to spend your time on, work on it till it's finished, and then reevaluate what's the next most important and start working on that. That's the fundamental idea behind Agile. You're just always working on the most valuable thing. And that obviously prevents the team from working on stuff that's not important because they're always working on the most important thing. Now, in this case, it also doesn't matter what their actual top speed is. They are putting all of their speed into the most valuable thing that they can. Now, obviously, if you don't give them the most valuable thing to work on, then that's on you and that's going to cause Mura. No, that's going to cause Muda. I've got to get the right word. So this agile approach eliminates that waste of doing unimportant things. Now, of course, in reality, there are complications, like maybe the team can work on multiple things at once. But again, you want to make sure those are both the most important things that they could be working on, and they're valuable and aligned with the strategy and all that. Now, another way to reduce Muda is to remove unnecessary steps. Now, Shigeo Shingo invented this thing he called the single-minute exchange of dye, which was a little con confusing the name. So Shigeo Shingo, this fantastic, amazing industrial engineer in Japan, he was part of the group that invented the Toyota production system. And he has a, there's a number of great books about him and the stories that he tells. And I'll put some links to his books in the show notes. But he invented this thing called single-minute exchange of dyes. So these are dyes. <laughs> these are not little things. These are the dyes that stamp out the metal body parts of cars. You know, you think about Toyota, they make cars. And if you think about the metal body parts on a car, well, there's the front fenders, there's two of those, there's the hood, there's the doors, the outside of the doors, there's the inside of the doors, and so on. So, you know, 50, part, 50 stamp parts or maybe 30 stamp parts, something like that. And what they needed to do, if they wanted to, to fulfill their goal of being able to quickly switch in a, a production line over from one type of car to another, they had to be able to quickly switch the stamping dies, and these are huge multi-ton things, they had to quickly be able to switch those stamping dies out so that they could switch over the line quickly. And normally this would take hours, potentially days, to do. And what he figured out was, well, you could eliminate a lot of the things that were causing it to take a long time and get it down to under 10 minutes to shift the dies for a particular body part. That's what single minute exchange of dies means single digit minute. So under 10 minutes. And so this was an amazing innovation, which really was really important for the transformation of Japanese industrial engineering when he, when he did this and when Toyota started to make use of this. So when you think about it, there's a couple things that are driving this, the long time it takes to change dies in a factory. You know, some of it is just like, well, we always did it. Maybe you do things in a serial way instead of in a parallel way. And so Shingo did things like he removed things, he removed steps that weren't needed. He sometimes would move a step from part of the die exchange to some other place in time so it didn't impact the exchange of die. He made sure that the way that you would position the dies, which is a big 
it's really important, of course, if the, the top die and the bottom die are aligned correctly. So we came up with ways to align them sort of automatically or really fast rather than having to do a lot of measurements and tests. He just had, you know, things like reference pins that would make sure that the dies were aligned correctly when they were first, when they were just installed. So a lot of things went into fixing this. Now, one of the things that can contribute to things taking a long time is when there's a mistake made and often an additional step is added to protect the process against that mistake. This happens all the time in software, right? As you get bigger and bigger as a software organization, mistakes become arguably more important, right? Because they can go out and cause problems for more and more customers and bigger and bigger customers. And so often what a company will do is they, a, a mistake will be made and they'll say, oh, you know, we really need another step in our process to make sure this mistake doesn't happen again or mistakes of this type. And this keeps happening and happening. And over time, you have a lot of steps that are really just checks against making mistakes. And they create waste because that's a lot of time and often a lot of cognitive effort that goes into going through those steps instead of creating new software that's going to uh, solve a new problem or something like that. And Shingo re realized that this was happening in the industrial processes, and that's a lot of what he took away in his single-minute exchange of dye. Now, how do, you, how do you do that? Well, you have to change the processes, not so that people have to go through specific steps to create mistake, to prevent mistakes, but so that the process itself becomes mistake-proof. And this is another really interesting concept uh, from Japanese industrial engineering called pokioki. And it was a basically, you could think of it most like automated regression testing if you think about software development. Automated regression testing is kind of like pokioki. It's a technique that allowed the Japanese manufacturers to approach zero defects. And what it does is it does things like I mentioned, the putting the pins in the dies so that they always were aligned correctly. And so, you know, a typical kind of problem that you might have in a manufacturing line is on the assembly line, somebody puts the cover of a device on upside down, or they put it up, they, it's flipped 180 degrees from where it's supposed to be. And if you don't take care in the design, it's very easy to make that mistake, but it can cause the device itself not to work or to not fit in its box or something like that. So what you would do to pokey that, to mistake-proof that situation, is you'd design the cover so it could only go on one way. You couldn't put it on upside down. It only went on right side up. And you can do that by positioning where the screw holes are or the sizes of the screw holes, or you can put a pin into the base so the cover always has to fit over the pin. There's lots and lots of ways of doing this. And we need to be thinking about ways to do that in our software development. And we do actually have a lot of those things, those sort of automated things that are happening in software development. You know, when you check in a code change, there's usually most deve development environments have some kind of a thing that checks the code to make sure that the syntax is correct. And maybe we'll do a, an, an analysis of the code to see if there's any potential memory problems or references that are dangling, things like that. So we do do actually a lot of this within software development, but there's, I would think, a lot of opportunity for additional pokeyoking, pokeyokiing of our processes. 
Now, one other thing to think about in terms of these types of mistakes, you know, if there's, if you're using automated regression tests, they're going to start breaking in areas where you are making changes, right? So you have an automated regression test that knows that a certain thing works a certain way. You change the way that thing works. Obviously, those regression tests are going to change or they're going to start failing. You know, it makes sense really to have a theory of which of your automated tests will start to fail as a result of your intended change. This is actually something that probably product managers and, and QA engineers should do a little working together on when you start discussing new features, how is this going to break the automated testing system? Because, for two reasons. One is you want to make sure that you understand what shouldn't break. And the other, obviously, is because you're going to want to pay attention to the things that should break and you want to make sure they do break. Because if you if they don't break, that indicates something went wrong, right? But also you need to start getting ready to take advantage of, or not take advantage of, to take account of these changes that are coming. So there's a bunch of talk about waste and quality. I think it's a fascinating subject. I think the application of these Japanese industrial engineering ideas, there's still a lot to be done there. So here's three things you can take away from this episode. Quality has two components. It's the fit for purpose part and the lack of defects. And fit for purpose is often more important. It's really what brings the value of the software or whatever you're building to the customer. Lack of defects obviously is kind of an enabler of that value as well. But having something that has no defects but isn't fit for purpose doesn't help anybody. There are these different kinds of waste, as I mentioned, Muda, Mura, and Mira. It's one way to think about that waste, inconsistency, and overwork. And, you know, these Japanese industrial engineering concepts from the golden age when the Toyota production system and Shigeo Shingo was working has a lot to teach us in enterprise software development, much of which we haven't even started to learn or articulate. And I think it's worth looking at some of that stuff to see if we can take lessons. And of course, we have taken some lessons. Of course, lean software, in some sense, is based in some of those innovations as well. And of course, when you're thinking about industrial engineering, a lot of these innovations were related to manufacturing things. In manufacturing, you need to be able to create the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. It's not what we do in software. So everything does have to change when you apply it to enterprise software from the manufacturing domain. So I'd love to hear if you thought this was thought-provoking or useful information. Let me know your thoughts at secretsofpm.com slash 122, where you'll find the show notes. I'll include links to some of the Shigeo Shingo books. His stories are super amazing. And a few other books as I think about them, and maybe some links to other podcasts where I've talked about some of this stuff. I just think there's always room for talking about quality and also Japanese industrial engineering. Actually, it's one of my favorite things. Anyway, until next time, this is Nels Davis. Bye-bye.